You're listening to the Podcast Network. Listen. Learn. Evolve. Dave Slusher, welcome to G'day World. Long overdue, mate. G'day, Cam. <laughs> oh, that's that's pretty fucking piss weak, mate. But uh, thanks for the effort. Thanks for the effort. <laughs> I, I believe uh, you, most uh, Americans don't even uh, give that much of a shit, so... No, they don't. That's right. So you, I mean, you, you, you put it in there for your American brothers and sisters. <laughs> now, mate, um, I, I want to have a chat to you about um, a, a lot of things, and I've only got about half an hour because I've got a, another thing to do. So, uh, But before I get into that, I, you know, I think... I was thinking maybe there's people out there who don't know who Dave Slusher is. It might be, I mean, it's hard to believe, but there might be people out there who've never heard Clam Bake that don't know what an evil genius chronicle is. So why don't, you, why don't you give, just in case, why don't you give the people a little bit of background on the Dave Slusher story to date? Okay. Well, Evil Genius Chronicles is my podcast, and uh, you know, my whatever tiny claim to fame I have is that. I was in the first, I don't know, dozen or so people that were doing this. I started um, late August of last year, kind of in the wave front of, of podcasting as we knew it, before we even had a, that term to refer to it. And, uh, you know, I'd had a weblog for a long time. Um, I do have a radio background, so um, I, I was a DJ. My high school job um, was as a DJ at this little town in western Kansas. Uh, so when I was 15 years old, I was out spinning records for my, you know, to, to, to pick up beer money. And uh, later on, you know, in my 20s, I did uh, college radio and went on to do uh, a syndicated public radio show that was an independent production where I interviewed science fiction people. And I, I in fact, produced wait, wait, that wait. show kind of out of my house. Wait, wait, wait. Not wait. unlike... Wait, 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 when you say you interviewed science fiction people, you're talking about authors or like people that didn't really exist? Or people no, that authors, in the future? <laughs> yeah, mostly mostly genre authors uh, le- tilted heavily towards science fiction, but fantasy, uh, mystery, horror, uh, you know, people from the world of comics and, and, you know, some artists and things like that. Cool. And so that show, that show went for about six years, two of which were up on the public radio satellite. So it was not like an NPR TM production, but it was we released time on the satellite to uh, put this independent production up. And so for, you know, it never had, I don't think we ever had 10 stations at the same time, but we had uh, an affiliate in New York City for most of those two years. And so a lot of, you know, a fair number of people heard the show and, you know, it was kind of a, it was a, a fun hoot. And, and that particular thing was probably uh, like the bridge thing. Because the the process of what I do when I podcast is very much like what doing that syndicated show was. You know, it's me in my house kind of <laughs> talking and doing voiceovers and sometimes, you know, talking to people and interviewing them. And, you know, so, so for me, I already had enough of the stuff in my house to do this because, you know, that's how I used to do this radio show. And for me, it was just a matter of when uh, Adam Curry started doing the Daily Source Code and... Uh, Said, so, well, this seems like a thing to do. I have this crap in my closet. Let's dust it off and uh, give it a run. And so, is, so you were um, reading Adam's blog at the time. I was reading his blog, and so I had I had been reading it for a while, uh, maybe Dude, a like, year or two. Why? 
<laughs> here's the when he started doing his MTV Chronicle stuff. You know, I was reading them, and I thought that was kind of interesting because I'm of a so an age where that was a, you know a formative experience for me. How old? But are you? All that time, I'm uh, 37. Okay, 38. Just turned 38. Yep. And uh, all that time for like the first year I was reading it, I actually was thinking he was Mark Goodman. Uh, being an Aussie who missed well, out it, on MTV, it, it, I have no idea who either of these it's guys It's a different... Mark Goodman was like a different guy with like right. this curly, dark hair <laughs> who was one of this original uh, VJs, and Adam was in like the kind of the second wave. Right. But uh, all this time, I thought it was the wrong... I, I was thinking it was the other guy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, so you were reading his thing, and you saw what he was doing with Daily Source Code, and you started doing your audio blog, right? That yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. And so I had been reading about his, you know stuff with enclosures, and and I downloaded his original iPod or Apple Script, um, which kind of led to me writing a thing in Perl, which was kind of an act alike, but had a little more logic and it cached things a little better, and you know, and so I kind of wrote, you know, another, one of the clones, another one of the the fairly early podcatchers, that then people kind of took that idea, some of those ideas, and ran with them. Um, if that thing has any lasting legacy, it's that the guys that do Fire Ant, the uh, video blog catcher thing, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they actually formed some of their original caching code out of my podcatcher that I did. There so that will be its tiny little uh, contribution. There'll be a uh, there'll be a sub entry in Wikipedia somewhere that, that mentions that. I'm sure. S- several levels of footnote down. There will be <laughs> <laughs> if that if I'm lucky, I would get a footnote. So, um, it, what's your day job, man? What do you do for Crust? I uh, write manufacturing software, and that's what I've been doing for the, through the entirety of the podcast era. You know, I'm just kind of a computer contractor. Um, I work telecommute from my uh, home near the beach in coastal South Carolina, and uh, just write uh, manufacturing software. Manufacturing software being well, your uh, stuff that that makes machines work or what yeah it's it's stuff for uh, a very specific kind of ma- printing yeah. and manufacturing and it's a e- combination kind of erp and customer relations stuff all kind of integrated together for a little startup okay. i'm i'm guy number three or guy number four at the startup excellent how, how old's the startup um about a year and a half two years old i mean i came on within the first couple months i've been at it a little more than a year okay Kick ass. So that's your background. And so, you, you know, you've been there pretty much since day one. I mean, Mick and I got started the end of November. So, I mean, you'd been mm-hmm. you'd been doing this for months before we got... And I think, you know, in August, I was actually traveling around Europe. When I got back, sort of the beginning of September, Mick started saying to me, hey, check out these audio blog things. And I was like, why the hell would I want to listen to someone talk when I can... <laughs> Read their read their blog in ten seconds. You know, I was I totally didn't get it for a couple of months, and mm-hmm. I I can't remember actually how I ended up getting. I remember actually, you know, trying to download I think Daily Source Code or iPod or and just not being able to even install any of this shit or get it working and giving up. You know, fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. But I think it was uh, when I finally started listening to Tyrone. Ranting and raving and frothing at the mouth on the early Engadget, Engadget. podcast mm. with Len that I really got. Yeah, that's what turned me on. I thought, holy shit, I, I, this guy's got it, man. This guy's. I'd, I'd be pumping my fist in the car while I was driving <laughs> around, going, "Yeah, man, bring it on." 
Well, there was an interesting period at the beginning where you had you know, a lot of overlap between the people doing the initial tools, the people doing the initial, you know, the initial audio blogs and initial podcasts and doing, you know, the directories. And, you know, in some cases, it's the same people doing all three. And, when you know, there's that point before the number of uh, programs out there was so much that you could listen to everyone that everyone was doing every day. Hmm. You know, yeah. and then part part of what helped me, you know, whatever little traction I got was uh, the fact that I wrote one of the podcatchers and made myself one of the uh, default <laughs> subscriptions. That certainly helped a little in the early days. <laughs> and, uh, you know. That was a tried and tested technique that worked for a lot of people, <laughs> I think. It still, it still happens, I think, if you download iPod uh, X today or one of those iPod variants, you get... All of Adam's friends uh, pre-populated mm-hmm. in your publication. So, um, so I, I read a thing and, and wrote a thing yesterday about uh, you know Doc Searles predicting at the end of September last year that within 12 months the uh, he I think at the time at the end of Sept- September 28th last year he did a post saying he searched on the term podcasts on Google and got 24 entries. Mm-hmm. And he was predicting that a year later there would be hundreds of thousands or maybe even millions. And when I checked yesterday, there was over 61 million uh, <laughs> returns. So to, give me your, you know, give me your take on what's happened in the last 12 months with podcasting, where it's at, the good, the bad, and the ugly, what do you think is going to happen in the next 12 months, and then you can beat me up about TPN when we get to the end of that. <laughs> Yeah, that's a, that's a little overly strong, uh, you know. But well, I mean, we all kind of, you know. So there's this kind of, I don't know what you would call it, wild frontier days, you know, at the beginning, where there's this medium and the people who who like were in there and the the early people, not just the early people making them, but the early people who were subscribing. Uh, there was just this kind of electric excitement because everyone that cared, you know, up through, you know, the end of last year that was doing this, when there's still, you know, four figures worth of people doing, you know, subscribing to shows, uh, they all could kind of uh, appreciate the power of the medium, the kind of low friction, you know, subscribe to something once and then the damn things just show up. I mean, it's, it's such a powerful paradigm. And uh, so I always felt at that point like we had something really special Chances are somebody is going to come along and fuck it up. I mean, that's, you know, it's, it's, it's like the classic Camelot story. You know, the brief shining moment is by definition brief. <laughs> and uh, I, I expected, um, you know, a lot of people, ha- and you, I'm sure you saw a lot of this and maybe even believe this, that somewhere along the line, you know, you're going to get your clear channels and your, you know, big companies were going to kind of gorilla their way in seize control of everything, and then that would pretty much be the end of the game. And uh, they would essentially make the broadcast, make this just be a reflection of the broadcast medium, and then all the kind of quirky individual voices that made the medium so compelling would just disappear in the noise. I mean, that's really what I thought would go, would happen sooner or later. And I still kind of feel that way. But I've been very kind of pleasantly surprised um, how little that's actually happened in this first year. You know, a, a year into it, the the individual voices. You know, there was a the, there was a hiccup when iTunes came along, and suddenly it's a bunch of uh, big media, big corporation podcasts no one has ever heard of are the top hundred. 
Yep. But, you know, who gives a shit? Because everybody who's already subscribed to something and listening was still listening. You know, it, it just does, that doesn't matter. Yeah, but, I, I mean, I, I am concerned about those sorts of things. And, uh, you know, I'm concerned about Apple's influence in shaping the direction of the public's perception of podcasting over the next 12 months. And, you know, the, the sort of relationship, business relationship that, that um, Adam and Ron have with Apple, which I haven't quite been able to discover, but I'm pretty sure that there's something going on there. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, the, and the way that those forces have the ability to shape the direction. So I think, and, and one of the things that worries me is how quickly and easily uh, the indie podcasters are willing to sell out um, for yeah. the chance to make some quick cash. And well, but, at least, uh, but at least when they're selling out for quick cash, that's better than selling out for nothing, which was my problem like with <laughs> KYOU. Selling out for Zippo, for the ability to be played on one crappy station that no one listens to in the Bay Area. <laughs> yeah, that if you're gonna, you know, I actually don't even believe. Uh, if you're gonna whore yourself, the, at least whore yourself for some <laughs> for some I, green, is what you're saying. That's exactly. I don't. I think typically what people uh, refer to as selling out, I just think of as selling too cheap. <laughs> right. Yeah, but uh, and look, uh, and I've got you know, it, it, it's up to people if they want to. Uh, let, let's take the VC thing, right? Because this is something that that's been bothering uh, me for a long time. You know, in the last six months, we've had, you know, I won't say hundreds, but we've had a handful of opportunities where people come along and wanting to sink money into TPN. Mm-hmm. And, you know, every time, what they want to do is do a quick flip. They want to, you know, sink some money in. They want us to then uh, do another round and do a float. And they have no interest whatsoever in podcasting or media or shaping media or the long-term picture or the 10-year plan it's just yeah this is hot let's chuck some money in and then we'll flip it and we'll all make a lot of money you're you would be the framework of a pump and dump yeah absolutely absolutely Mm -hmm. and what and we've been turning them down because we've been going well you know and i saw a lot of my mates who did dot coms in the late 90s uh go through this process where they took the easy money and, you know, the easy money said, yeah, the, the guy's giving it to him. Say, yeah, spend it. It's there. Spend big. Grow big. Grow fast. First mover advantage. Build the brand. Blah, blah, blah. Until the day comes when the bottom falls out of the market or the, you know, correction from the hype curve has to kick in. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, these guys are high and dry. They're overextended. They've got this massive burn rate. And then the investors come in and just rip the carpet out from underneath their feet. And uh, the business gets sold out, sold over, you know, fucked mm-hmm. over. Anyway, sorry, this well, is yeah, I'm talking. I'm I, I, that's why I think that that I, I feel similarly that um, it seemed like there was a certain amount of kind of congratulatory, or people felt good about the kind of the entrance of VC money into this world, like kind of like that's a validation. Hey, look, you know. Yeah. Uh, I, I can't even remember which firms it is. Was it Kleiner Perkins? Who, who sunk money to Pacho? Kleiner and Sequoia. Was it? Yeah. Okay. And so people, hey, look, these guys, you know, they're not chumps. They, they, they know which way the wind's blowing. Obviously, things are, uh, you know, we're on the right track because these guys are putting money into it. When I look at it, I think one to me, and bear in mind too, this is, you know, this is my particular, driven by my particular worldview. 
which in a lot of ways I still have a lot of the DIY punk aesthetic that I had when I was 17. Uh, Part of what makes this medium special is the fact that anyone can do it for no money at any time. And so when you've got the VC money coming in, that, that begins to create economic pressures that inherently weren't there before. And so the kind of the low cost of entry, and what's better to me is part of the reason why we're getting some of these crazily creative things is there's a, almost a zero cost of failure, right? You, you put out a format on a radio station, and no one listens, and it's a big failure. That's an expensive experiment. But a podcast, you know, that just doesn't work or nobody listens to or nobody likes, that's a low-cost experiment. So you've got people making hundreds and thousands of experiments, and a few of those things are really wonderful, and they stick. Yeah. And now on TPN, it's time for a break. Hey, it's Wayne Trammell, host of the Cranky Middle Manager Show. And if you can pull yourself away from the donuts in the break room long enough to listen, I'd sure appreciate it. The Cranky Middle Manager Show on Podcast Network. We have interviews, the classic quote of the week, and of course the most honest take on the life of those of us who toil in the honest, hard-working world of middle management. That's the Cranky Middle Manager Show on the Podcast Network. I haven't had this much fun since I found out 360-degree feedback really was anonymous. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I, in all of my nightmare scenarios that I run through, I can't figure out how they're going to take that away. I, I can't imagine how they're going to stop us from stop people from producing crazy ass podcasts and crazy ass blogs because it's kind of out there now. And until they yeah, I don't I don't think it can be stopped. Yeah, but what what bothers me though is when you look at when you look at the top ten shareholders of Apple and you look at what their interests are and who else they own where their business interests lie, it's certainly not in creating a new form of media. Mm -hmm. Their interests lie in maintaining the old forms of media. You know, the top 10 shareholders of Apple are the same top 10 shareholders in Time Warner and General Electric. (laughs) These are the guys that own the big media companies in the US. They're not interested in seeing an alternative form of media that could potentially... Uh, cause economic problems with their existing investments. That's not where their interests lie. But then, I mean, we 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 built what we got now without them. So you know, why, on one level, why does that matter? You know, who, who cares? We'll do it with or without them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it it bothers me though if people think that Apple, is, you know, and Apple's entry into podcasting is is necessarily a good thing for indie podcasters. I just think no. I never, yeah, I never thought that. (laughs) I was, I was very worried about it, partly because, in some ways, well, I, 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 you know, I was very vocal when it first came out. Is that I thought it was about the most inept possible um, rollout that I can imagine Apple having done. I mean, I can't really imagine how they could have done it much worse. Um, They did all these things. I mean. Writing any anything that consumes RSS at this point is, you know, we're five, six, seven, eight years into it. So kind of the best practices, like knowing how to not hammer the hell out of people's feeds, these are out there. And, you know, you don't even have to be that smart to know how to do it. They didn't do any of that stuff. They, you know, they. if you wanted to really kind of 
be paranoid and look for you know the tinfoil hat conspiracy theory, one could argue that maybe that wasn't just ineptness. Maybe they wanted to really use up the resources hard of the Indies so that um, there is a barrier to entry. Right, because you know that the the iTunes listeners, if you get at all uh, popular, are just going to hammer you and you know drive up your bandwidth bills, and suddenly not everyone can do this. I mean, I I don't know that that's yeah, I believe that that's what happened, but you could actually read the facts about the same way, depending on whether you thought it was just kind of because they didn't really care or because they really wanted to do this this way. But I think the iTunes. Uh, the iTunes podcasting support is just, it's bullshit. <laughs> it was not implemented very well. To this day, I still don't know. I, a guy just emailed me the other day that somebody submitted his feed and he doesn't really want it in there in the iTunes director, the, the, the iTunes music store directory, and he can't get it out and he doesn't know how to get it out. Mm. I mean, everything's so opaque about how all that works and the fact that you have to have a, a iTunes music store account to do things. <laughs> yeah, I don't have one. I've never, I've never spent a cent at the iTunes Music Store. Mm. Well, not to mention the fact that they don't even have an iTunes Music Store in Australia, so Mick it's, and I can't right. even submit shows. I know, and our music I mean, shows. Nothing about sense. it makes it. I know. Yeah, it's, nothing. It's all weird, man. Yeah, anyway. nothing about that makes sense to me. I mean, it's it's you know it's a good thing in as much as there's probably a couple million people that are aware of podcasting today that weren't aware of it pre iTunes 4.9. And when Microsoft finally gets their shit together and does some podcasting stuff in Windows Media Player, there'll be another X number of million people that will discover it. So it's getting the word out there, but I think we, as as indie podcasters, we need to keep our wits about us around who our friends are and, and who have right. alternative um, agendas. And dear God, I hope Microsoft does a better job of it, because with their install base, if they rolled out as ineptly as Apple did, it would be seriously hard times for a lot of people because, you know, it's it's essentially, um, you know, the iTunes rollout created something a lot like a, a distributed denial of service for a lot of people, even some of the biggies. Yeah, and so Microsoft can do a much worse, you know, can do much more damage if they did it no better than than that. So please, guys, if anyone from Microsoft hears this, it's on you. Please do a good job. Please, I'm begging you. <laughs> yeah, I think Microsoft have got a few issues at the moment on their own. <laughs> let let them just finish Vista, right, and then we'll, then I'll worry about it. Um, all right, now in our last five or ten minutes, tell me about TPN. What am I doing wrong? What should we be doing better? Well. You know, you and I had a, an instant message exchange where we kind of went over some of the stuff. I'm a little worried about the because you started, and I'm a fan of Good Day World, and you know I listened to I ended up listening to all the shows because you had so damn many in your feed that when I first subscribed I got like 45 shows down. Um, <laughs> and, and, yeah, and so I, I believe I've listened to every single show you guys have ever done on Good Day World. And I'm worried that you're expanding expanding faster than you can kind of keep up the quality of the shows. And so, you know, that's this is this gets back to that kind of economic pressures that uh, that worry me is that um, you know, when when there's a pressure to kind of make money and to get product out 
at a certain speed so you can you know have more things to put uh more things to put sponsorships in and etc then you know you're back to you're back to the same dynamics that have made at least here in America broadcast radio such unbearable gobshite i mean it's just awful and so you know if there's one thing that we that we should be looking to do with this new medium is not succumb to the same kind of low common denominator and you know just get it out uh dynamic Still there? <laughs> I killed the conversation. <laughs> you know, I was, I was, I was thinking about that. I mean, uh, I was. Th- I guess the question I was asking myself was, "Shit, is that what we're doing?" Because that's not what I feel like we've been doing for the last six months, and it, and it mm-hmm. concerns me that that's the impression that you get. So I'm wondering, geez, is that, that what we're doing? Well, I mean, part of this is, and this is part of the value of the medium, is no one has to like any individual thing. Or at least, like when I put out my show, it doesn't matter if I don't get a million listeners or 100,000 listeners or 10,000. I've always said my magic number is 50. If I've got 50 people that care about what I'm saying, I'm going to continue to do it. But then I've got a different set of kind of economic realities, and I don't, I have no... uh, you know, no necessity to make money from it. I don't have to keep my numbers big. And so when you fashion a, a, a situation where that is the case, then you got to make different decisions, you know. And now you got to think, well, geez, what, what's going to bring in, what's going to get the ears listening to this? You know, what's going to get big subscriber numbers? Yeah, I mean, from a TPM perspective, that's not necessarily our driving factor although you know obviously we're trying to create a commercially sustainable uh, business out of this and provide an infrastructure that will pay for itself <laughs> would, would be a good fucking start um, <laughs> and it's about to do that i mean we're about to announce a couple of big sponsorships in the next week or so that that will at least cover our costs mm-hmm. but you know, a lot of the programming that we do, um, we take on board because after I chat to the host and, and, you know, they do a pilot for us and we have a listen, I believe that there's a person here who knows about their subject matter, is passionate about it, has something to say, and also has the ability to do a fairly solid show on a regular basis. And whether or not it's going to have a massive audience isn't, you know, isn't really one of the key determining factors for us. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of the shows that we've taken on board, we know are not going to have a big audience, but we put them on board because we think it's an important message that we want to be involved in supporting and getting out there. Um, but, yeah, no, it's interesting. Maybe you've definitely given me food for thought over the last week. It's not, I mean, it's something that I think about all the time, too. You know, I'd really love a big hit show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'd love a. You know, and, and purely for ego and a sense of, I don't know, accomplishment. I'd love to have a show that, you know, I'd love to have a whole slate of shows that absolutely burns the world up and everyone's talking about and everyone wants. And I get depressed at times that, you know, whilst some of the shows that we have do quite well, that, and, I, and I'm, you know, proud of all of the shows that we've got, but that, you know, there's nothing that's, you know, on the front page of the New York Times. But, mm-hmm. I don't know. Then I keep telling myself that I'm being a dickhead and that's not what it's all about. But I don't know. 
Yeah, it's, uh, you know, some of this is, is individual taste. You know, I there's a particular style of show that uh, is very common in uh, the U.S. That's your kind of wacky zoo crew morning show. Yep. And for me, that's the prototype of why I haven't listened to the radio in my car for close to a year. Yep. Because I, I, I don't, I don't like that format, and you see, you hear a lot of guys sometimes. So, so sometimes my wife will turn the radio on if she's driving in her car, and uh, they, they'll play the on the rock station. They'll play the clips, like the highlights of their wacky morning show. Yeah, and you listen to this, and you'll think. Some motherfucker thought this was so funny that this <laughs> that this sells the show. And you're listening to it. I just listened to it with my jaw open, thinking that could not be less funny. <laughs> who who thinks this is such a riot? Yeah. And but and, and it's weird because if you go, it doesn't matter where you are. If you're in Albuquerque or Seattle or New York or wherever, Atlanta, they all sound the same. Yeah, it could be here, the, same the same couple people. I, I, I just, I don't know. And so, for me, what makes this medium, uh, you know, I mean, I listen to all kinds of stuff, like, I listen to the the Frat Pack podcast. guy just talks about, you know, Vince Vaughn and the Wilson brothers, and and I love that kind of stuff, you know? It, I mean, it's so niche. Yep. And it just happens to be something that, you know, is interesting enough that I listen to. Yep. And, look, and, and I think I know what you're saying, that, and I... You know, I think that most of the shows on TPN, in fact, the vast, vast majority don't fit that, you know, morning show model. We maybe have one or two that do, but but the vast mm-hmm. majority don't. And um, you know, I love the. Uh, have you ever listened to a history according to Bob? I have not. I heard that guy get interviewed on Small World, but I haven't heard the show itself. It's one of my favourite shows. I, I absolutely love it to death. I listen to it probably every day. It's mm-hmm. the you know the episodes are usually ten minutes long, fifteen minutes tops. Bob's this old history professor, and he just you know uh, takes uh, something out of a moment in history, and he just talks about it for ten minutes. And it's mm-hmm. there's no frills, no thrills. There's no post production, no theme tune. <laughs> it's just him talking into a microphone about something that happened in history. And it's absolutely engaging. I love it to death. But mm-hmm. you know, I'm with you. I think that's Something like that would never get up on radio, but it's uh, one of the best things I've ever heard in my life. And those and those shows will always be out there. I guess it's probably going to get harder to find them and discover them, though, a year from now when there's a hundred thousand you know, shows out there. Well, so you quickly, know, one as of the we things. Up, what do you think is going to happen over the next twelve months? Well, where do you where do you expect this is going to go? Is it going to peak soon and tank, or what? I, you know, I. Hope that I've got just enough optimist in me to think that it won't tank, but you know it might because, you know that's sort of the inevitable uh, follow-on stage to to the burning up of hype, and there, and there's nothing that gets hyped enough that isn't going to have a backlash. It's 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 just the way of the world. But uh, you know I hope that uh, you know we kind of this sort of foments. Uh, what I hope ultimately, this is my dream of all this, is that. On down the road, and it might be a generational thing. It, may, it might take a few generations to die off before it becomes this way, but it changes the way, it changes the relationship of kind of people and media, because now it's it's no longer this kind of big church high priests talking to the the, the you know the the ordinary folk. 
everyone realizes that without much effort, they too can be a, a form of media. And so it kind of it, it reduces this gap. And we realize that the people who you hear on you know anything, you look at any talking head on CNN or Fox News or any Rush Limbaugh, you realize that these guys are basically windbags, and they don't really know much more than you. And sometimes... And, and free, increasingly for myself, I realized I may even know more than these guys do about the subject they're carrying on about. So it, it kind of this sort of empowered audience with a critical ear that realizes that uh, they just don't have to swallow uh, blindly anything every anyone feeds you, uh, and kind of realizes that they, you know, that they're empowered to create as well as to consume. Dave Slusher, it's been a pleasure chatting to you, mate. All right. Thank you very much. Keep up the good work. And uh, for people, again, who aren't familiar, where do they find the blog and the clam bake, mate? Give, them the, give it a plug. <laughs> EvilGeniusChronicles.org. And explain why it's Evil Genius Chronicles. It was actually based on a misremembering of uh, an old Warner Brothers cartoon. Whereas uh, Wiley Coyote is to me like the prototypical figure because it does not matter how many cliffs this guy falls off of or how many. I mean, he's an engineer, right? <laughs> you know, so right away there's a little affinity there. Doesn't matter how many prototypes blew up in his face, he's back at it. Doesn't matter how many schemes failed, he continues. And so the uh, you know the Wiley Coyote super genius. I misremembered his evil genius, and that's why I named my blog that way years ago. <laughs> And and the little picture of you in Skype, mate. Who's that? The guy playing the cowbell. Oh, that's Will Ferrell uh, as Gene Frankel from the uh, cowbell sketch on Saturday Night Live. <laughs> I remember that one. It's a classic. <laughs> <laughs> Good on you, Dave. I've got to go, mate. Let's talk soon. All right. <laughs> All right. Take care. Cheers. The Podcast Network. Real power can't be given. It must be taken.